We love hearing people's viewpoints on Bitcoin and what they believe are the most important aspects of crypto. Jameson Lopp is helping as many people as possible understand the importance of self-custody and providing a way for them to make their Bitcoin as secure as it can be. He's an old school Bitcoiner and a technologist with an epic beard. It's been a long time since he's rocked the mic here in the Republic of Bad Cryptopia. So we've got him back today. It's all lop and you can't stop listening to episode number 699 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, Who's bad? can't stop so you don't drop unless you got a plop <laughs> sometimes if you got a plop you gotta drop sometimes you gotta plop and then we need to hurry up this episode here real stop quick. drop and plop it's when you <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds good to me now this is a great episode man with uh with jameson lop i think you guys are really gonna appreciate this one i don't know who has better resources in crypto than this guy does like his website is a full-on oh my gosh he has the best resources you wouldn't believe the resources this guy has they're it's amazing a bit of media over there they're amazing you know what less yeah. of us more of lop here we go with jameson we set the way back machine to january 2018 episode number 72 mr jameson lop graced us with his presence and his epic beard which is still just as epic today he's got a lot of entrepreneurial spirit in the crypto space and helping to bring people into the self-custody world for their bitcoin wallets and he's got a lot to say we're going to find out what his latest thoughts are today jameson welcome back to the republic of bad cryptopia good sir long time no see yeah, I feel like the the beard that you're getting those white strips now, right? Where it's yes, no, you can definitely go back and check. I think back then I only had like one streak, yeah. but it's growing out further. It's great. It's that's it's the like bear market for you. It's like <laughs> it's like you have beard fangs. That's that they're like keep your own Bitcoin. Yeah, that's nice. That's good. Hey, we appreciate you coming back on the show. You know, it's been a long time since january of 2018 dude that's almost six years ago you've been yeah. on so you know um you you've you've kept your finger on the pulse you've been building a lot of amazing things and so we want to talk touch base on some of those things but you know really let's kind of give a refresher some people might not know you so maybe what initially drew you to the whole crypto world and and, and maybe what were some of your first projects in the space so people can can get reacquainted with you yeah, uh, well, it's been about 11 years now. Um, I think I came across Bitcoin on a Slashdot post back in 2012. I'm sure I had come across it before, probably also on nerdy sites like that. And I had dismissed it, as many do, as you know, nerd money that everybody uh -huh. was going to lose and uh, you know would end horribly. But for some reason... When I saw that particular post, I ended up reading the white paper and um, 
kind of tickled the computer science parts of my brain along with some of the libertarian uh, beliefs and thought it was a really interesting project. And unlike most white papers, I could actually understand it. Uh, and, and from there, I just really kicked off uh, an exploration down the rabbit hole as you know, you and many other people have also gotten sucked into over the years. So that's actually um, coincidentally I, where I saw Bitcoin the first time. And then I yeah. talked to a bunch of friends about it and they all said that I was stupid and that was a dumb thing, <laughs> but I mined some and then it crashed my computer. So instead of going, Oh my God, I need to get stronger computers and go to warehouse these computers. This is the, I said, what the hell dude, you just screwed on my computer. Oh man, this sucks. And so I had to get a new computer and, and then I, I lost those Bitcoins. So that was awesome. You know, uh, Hal Finney actually said something similar of, I think he mined, you know, on his laptop for a couple of days, but then he got annoyed because it was making the fan spin too much. Yeah, so he turned much. it off. Destroyed my computer. I mean, it destroyed the fan, which then the fan was dead and then the rest of the computer died. But obladi, oblada. Well, here we are, you know, five and a half years further down the road from whence we last spoke, and the world economy is just a hot mess, right? Governments are printing more worthless paper money than ever before. We've got politicians allegedly in control that don't necessarily have the best interests of citizens at heart. How important do you think Bitcoin is now, and how has your thinking evolved onto its relevancy to our day and age? Oh boy. Uh, you know, when I started off with all of this, I th it was an interesting thought experiment. And I sort of saw it as the type of project that, you know, maybe on a generational time scale, it could be interesting. You know, if you basically have this deflationary currency that nobody can screw with, then inevitably over decades, other nation states are going to continue to devalue their currencies. So I think very few of us expected Bitcoin to grow as quickly as it did. Though once it started doing that in you know various growth spurts, now I think some people may have overcorrected on those expectations and you know expect it to go mainstream any day. But you know from from many different uh, metrics it, it has gone mainstream or at least mainstream in terms of a non-trivial portion of the population knows what it is uh, or they've heard of it but of course they probably have very little fundamental understanding of why it's interesting and you know why they should probably be using it but um you know it it, it has been interesting i think to see who has you know got it per se you know who uh amongst the the global population has seen value in bitcoin obviously a lot of people don't see value in it and that's because of you know their own uh perspectives and and things that they think are good and bad but you know bitcoin doesn't care um what really matters is those of us that do find it valuable and especially those of us who find it valuable enough that we spend our time, energy, resources, uh, working on the system, maintaining it, trying to better understand it. And, uh, you know, in your case, like trying to convey that understanding to a wider audience. Yep. People got to figure it out. And, the, and I think that, you know, we've, we've gone through a couple of bull runs now, right? Since 2017, we started doing the show 2017. And then we personally experienced a couple of bull runs and bear runs now, <laughs> bear, bear markets and, and, <laughs> 
and, and, and people who, who you know, it's, it's so wild. It's like, oh, crypto goes up. Everybody's interested in crypto. Crypto goes down. The, people stop being interested in it. Oh, it goes back up again, the big hype cycle. And it seems to us that, you know, the halving's happening right around the corner, not too long from now. I mean, we're about six months away from it, maybe a little, little bit longer. But it seems like we're at about that time where that bull market starts getting a little itchy, starts rolling a little bit, and now the interest is going to go back into crypto. So maybe what would we, what would you suggest to the new people who are just going to start figuring out about crypto? They're going to, they're going to come in again because they always do. And this, this is this next big hype cycle. What, what advice would you have for them? It's very simple. Um, you know, I tell people I don't give financial advice, but I do give investment advice. And and that basically is you should invest in education. <laughs> so mm-hmm. go to my website, uh, bitcoin.page. Uh, there's like 2000 links on there uh, and dozens of different categories. And, you know, it's never too late to start learning about this space. The main thing that you need to avoid is getting, you know, too much FOMO, too hyped up and, and over eager and basically jumping in and getting over your head because you need to understand that this is a very unforgiving space. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on one hand, there's some great properties and utility that you can get from this technology. Uh, and that basically is a result of the fact that you, know, you can take custody of your keys and you can interact with these protocols and networks without having to ask for permission, without having gatekeepers that can uh, screw with you and decide how you can use your own money. But the flip side of that is you take on a lot of responsibility. And if you make a mistake and you don't know what you're doing, it can be catastrophic. Your hard drive with 50 Bitcoin could end up in the garbage dump somewhere in Kansas City. Yeah, right, there's man. no crypto Karen out there. There's nobody that Karen can complain to. Or like, <laughs> talk hey, to the manager. where's my Bitcoins? I need to know. And I got to tell you, dude, your resources have grown tremendously. I know it's LOP, L-O-P-P dot net. And I think you got it. Uh, uh, mirrored out of the other, would you say Bitcoin.page? Yeah, Bitcoin.page goes the same place. It's just easier for people to remember, I think. Dude, those resources are spectacular, folks. If you want to learn more about this, you definitely want to go to there. All those resources are tapped out. And actually, if you go and look under uh, podcast, you might see a few podcasts that you you know. Yeah, there we are. That's good. So, you know, as we're looking forward, of course, you know, nobody can actually predict squat. What we can do is we can look at trends. We can look at past history. And we do know that a halving is coming. And those of us who have slogged our way through this bear market are quite optimistic that next year, 2024 and 2025, are going to see all-time highs again. Are you of that same mindset? Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, you know, not it would it would be not only good for you know, me personally, but it would be good for all of the businesses in the space. Um, you know, you've surely seen over the past year or so the bear market is rough. Uh, a lot of people have had to kind of downsize, uh, lay people off, um, really trim the fat so that we can hibernate through the winter and hopefully emerge in the spring and you'll be ready for, for the bull. This is, I've done this three or four times and the, the bear markets are good for the builders and the technologists like myself, because there tend to be fewer distractions, 
though this time around there's still a lot of drama and distractions of all the mess that is still being cleaned up from a year ago you know all the court cases and stuff mm -hmm. uh, but you know we can get our heads down and and build more and basically prepare for the next onslaught because once the bull market does come you know, those of us who are running companies in the space we tend to have the opposite problem where we are basically struggling to keep our heads above water mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let me let me do a quick follow up on that. Bitcoin in general, uh, you know, we always say is unstoppable money. Under what circumstances do you think it would take? How big of a black swan? How swanny must it be in order for Bitcoin to fail? What is like if you were going to write a piece of fiction and go, this is how it ends? What would it look like? Well, I can certainly think of plenty of apocalyptic events. Um, yeah, but, other than, know, hey, we're all screwed and the zombies are here. Yeah, and, yeah. Know. So, you know, those are less interesting because you know, the the TLDR of most of those is you've got bigger problems to deal with. So people right. are right. worrying about the <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, You know, we've, we've already seen that even, you know, huge nation states can ban it and it only makes a small dent in it. So I'm not concerned so much about governments, at least as a cataclysmic event, because for better or for worse, I would say probably for better, there is no one world government. So like the, the governments around the world are not going to all coordinate with each other and agree on the same thing. So, you know, we, we have some you know, jurisdictional arbitrage, uh, that can keep uh, Bitcoin going, even if major nation states decide to push against it. But um, really the thing that has stuck with me through multiple cycles is that Bitcoin's biggest enemy is apathy. And, and so it's, it's tough for me to come up with specific uh, scenarios, but, you know, for example, if, if I think you know, the price stayed flat and, or went down for many, many years, you know, that would push a lot of people out. That would cause a lot of the businesses to have to close. And, you know, that could be a kind of downward spiral that results in a lot of apathy. You know, we, we already get all, a lot of the tourists get pushed out, shaken out through the bear markets already, but a, a bear market, you know, where those normal cycles got broken, I think would potentially cause even more people to become apathetic. But it's hard to imagine a situation where we actually get to the point that the Bitcoin stops working because that basically means that almost everybody in the world has decided that it is no longer worth trying to keep it on life support. And so... You know, one, one thing that we've seen with a lot of these like blockchain decentralized networks is they're extremely hard to kill. I mean, you look at the, what, 50,000 plus uh, networks that are out there and there's a ton of them out there that, I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're dead, but technically you can still use them. You can still interact with them. There's still a handful of people running machines around the world that are speaking those protocols. And while, you know, they're not nearly as robust or well-maintained, they are technically still usable. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, Bitcoin's not going to die unless literally everything else dies. And the fact that these networks can be sustained by just a handful of people makes them very, very difficult to, to 
completely kill. You know, they are the cockroaches of the sort of uh, internet. Yeah, I watched a couple of interviews of you recently, and one of the things that you were talking about was, you know, um, you're not completely opposed to Ethereum because people are going on Ethereum and they're trying new things. They're, they're, it's innovative, and <clears throat> sometimes they're doing some silly things. But what you said was, I would rather them be able to do those silly things on Bitcoin, to explore on Bitcoin. So now we have things like Noster and Bitcoin ordinals and some other stuff that's being built on top of that. Where do you see that ecosystem going? And can do you foresee a time where maybe there's so many ordinals that it's clogged up the network or it's spiking the rest of the Satoshis that are not connected to, to those ordinals? And maybe explain a little bit about what all that means, because I'm sure some people just heard that and go, this is bad crypto. I don't know what the hell any of that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the short version is that I'm a technologist and I am always in favor of permissionless innovation. Now, of course, there's always going to be bad aspects that come along with that. When someone can can basically build an entire new ecosystem and economy with whatever economic rules they want, there are going to be a lot of questionable or scammy ones out there. Uh, but I think that that is kind of the price that you pay for innovation is that there will be some bad actors that do stupid things and you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Uh, right. We can we don't have to participate, but we can certainly watch from the sidelines and we can learn and we can learn from the, the failures. We can learn from the successes there in the early days of Bitcoin. There was a fairly strongly held thesis that any altcoin that found product market fit and was highly successful with some bit of new functionality would find that functionality eventually gets subsumed by the Bitcoin network. Now that thesis has not really played out. Uh, it's hard to think of many things where that has happened uh, other than, you know, one, one good case, it, what's not quite the same thing though, is that, you know, SegWit got activated on Litecoin before Bitcoin. Um, but I mean, the plan was to have it on Bitcoin, but it, it ended up being an interesting sort of test case and you know, proof of economic security, I think, mm -hmm. that made it easier for it to get activated on Bitcoin. Other than that, you know, sort of novel functionality, we haven't really seen that getting uh, subsumed. And um, so I'm, I'm still somewhat hopeful that you know, we'll see more and better layer twos. And this actually kind of segues into some of the side chains and drive chains and now spider chains uh, discussions that have been having over the past month or two. And um, you know, that was another thesis back from like 2014, 2015, uh, that the, the Bitcoin ecosystem would, would grow and would add more functionality via having a, a sort of blossoming ecosystem of many side chains that are pegged to each other. And what that basically means is you have many different blockchains but under the hood, they're all still effectively using uh, Bitcoin tokens. You'd just be able to move your Bitcoin tokens from one blockchain to another, preferably without having to ask permission. And that sort of that permissionless two-way pecking mechanism, unfortunately, has yet to uh, be developed.
Yeah, that's not what happened at all. Instead, we have all of these uh, other chains and L2s. And by the way, you get five points for use of the word subsumed. I think that may be the first <laughs> time that has been used on the show. So you get points. You can spend those on nothing, but they're yours. Congratulations. Uh, you are a technologist. And as one, you are building technology. And you know we've all spoken for quite some time and written about the fact that if you don't have your keys, it's not really your crypto. You can easily uh, get hacked, lose it, so forth. And you are a huge evangelist for holding your own keys, so much so that you have developed a software product at keys.casa. Tell us what this is all about. Yeah, so I guess I switched over to Casa just a few months after we last spoke. Um, you know, the short version is that for the first three years that I was working full-time in the space, I was working for a company called BitGo, and they were one of the first multi-signature wallets out there, but they were specifically targeting enterprises. So, so BitGo basically was kind of the security product that was used by a lot of exchange and payment processors. And we learned a lot uh, over the few years when I was there. And I felt like there was still a hole in the market. And that was basically, you know, a a highly secure but user-friendly for individuals type of product. So, so Casa is. Um, it's really what I believe is the best self-custody product that we can architect with the current technology. Now, there are some nice uh, improvements on the technology that are coming down the pipeline and we're definitely doing research and development on. But the short version is that I saw many catastrophes over the years and and you know I started you know building this sort of, mental checklist of best practices of how to do self-custody. And as you know, if you look at my website, you know, there's a huge amount of resources, really an overwhelming amount of resources. Uh, even if you just go to the security section and you try to learn how to do self-custody, right? So the goal of CASA is to put forward a user-friendly wallet that as long as you just follow the instructions that are presented to you in the mobile app, you you get yourself into this architecture that is, is highly robust and it eliminates single points of failure. So that's the number one thing that we keep in mind whenever we're doing anything at Casa is that we're developing products that don't have single points of failure. And the reason for that is that we, we understand that you know, people are human, people make mistakes, people aren't security experts, and we want to remove a lot of the rough edges, a lot of the foot guns from self-custody that result in people you know, losing their money. In many right. cases, just locking themselves out of their money. Uh, and so having multiple keys on multiple different hardware devices in multiple different geographic locations, we found gives you a, a level of resilience so that you can have failures and you can gracefully recover from those failures. Mm. So my question would be around this then. So is, is it, cause it looks like it's just a mobile app or it's a desktop app. Does it have a hardware component to it? Cause I'm not seeing one of yeah. those. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's not possible 
uh, with Casa, like we don't let you have a multi-sig setup where all of the keys are on internet connected devices. That would be a huge yeah. potential point of failure. So we offer both two of three multi-sig and three of five multi-sig and uh, you know different levels of support plans. I think that's one of our big differentiators is really that at our premium tiers, what you're really paying for, sure, you're getting a nice you know software user experience, but what you're really paying for is... Uh, white glove, your consultation. So you can literally get on the phone with us, uh, basically think of it as a bunch of many Jamesons who have been trained, you know, gotten all the, the knowledge dumped from me on the best practices. And we, we help people navigate the decisions that need to be made. Um, you know, everyone has a, a, a different set of variables in their life, uh, different threats, to incorporate into their security model, different levels of convenience versus security that they're going to be you know, interested in making those trade-offs. And you know, we help you make those decisions while you know, not actually taking control of your money. Though we do hold one key um, as an emergency recovery mechanism that you can you know, set different authentication protocols with us of, you know, how that key can be requested to be used. And, and, you know, that can help you get out of certain sticky situations. I think of a bunch of mini Jamesons running around. Do they all have the beard? That's what I want to know. That's important. Stuff. Very like few. <laughs> Let me ask this then. So, so say, you know, as more people get involved with crypto and then populations get older, people die. Like, is there something built in for like retirement or, you know, even to, you know, inheritance kind of thing if somebody passes along? Yeah, you know, inheritance is kind of like the the final solution, right? So like a lot of people get into self-custody and, you know, there's a million different ways that you can do self-custody. Um, but getting an inheritance set up is this really interesting balancing act mm -hmm. because on one hand you want to put yourself into an architecture where only you are able to spend your money, right. but then you magically want this switch to flip if you cease to live. Yeah. And then you want some predetermined person or set of people to be able to, to spend your money after that. So yeah, we do have an inheritance product and you know, that is at our, our highest level tier because that requires even more consultation, more planning, more um, you know, thinking about all of the different situations. Yeah, because, it's a perplexing you know, problem because some people would, I mean, what's gonna happen is you have this expert who knows in their own world, all right, I set up CASA, I got it up, I'm pretty proficient with how it all works. And then now they're dead and then, oh no. And then the people who are probably going to come in are way less sophisticated to try to figure out how to grab whatever, whatever crypto's in that account. So that could definitely create an issue. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, I think another reason you might want a service like Casa to be able to facilitate recovery and in inheritance situations. So, you know, you still have the experts available and we can help the, the heirs, the beneficiaries to get through that process. And, you know, there's a lot of decisions to be made, you know, for example, it may not just be a question of, okay, what happens if I get hit by a truck? Um, you know, some people, of course, they start thinking about inheritance more when they have kids. And, right. um, you know, if you want to take it to the extreme, you know, you may also want to be assured that, you know, if both you and your spouse 
get hit by a truck at the same time, but your kids survive, you know, <laughs> want to be able to get out of that situation as well. Right. So it's a very complicated uh, problem with a number of different moving parts, but uh, kind of morbid, we, we but, do have experience. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's part <laughs> of uh, the situation, right? So yeah. we're all going there. So I didn't even know that .casa was a domain, a top level domain extension. Of course, casa mm -hmm. Espanol for house. Um, and keys.casa it's like that you it's like you own all the casa now because you named your brand after the tld which i think is is super smart so uh you guys can check out uh, casa this episode not brought to you by casa this is not a paid um advertisement here we do want you to check out what jameson is doing though so I'm curious to know when you are explaining Bitcoin to a lay person for the first time, let's assume that they really don't know. What is the simplest route that you take to explain it to somebody so they immediately get it and it doesn't take, well, it's kind of like, well, let me explain decentralization to you and, and uh, self-custody and how do you do it? Well, you know, there's no one size fits all thing for it. What I found over the years is that if you if you just sort of start blabbering, you know, based on your own perspectives, there's a very high likelihood that your audience will not be interested or not get it. So, you know, to do it right, you need to know your audience. You need to understand what what things will be interesting to them. So, you know, I made a explain lot of it mistakes. to mom, explain <laughs> yeah. it to mom. Okay. Let like, you know, somebody who's like, I, I've heard of this thing, you crazy kids with your magical <laughs> internet money. Why should I care? Yeah. Um, there are plenty of metaphors out there. You know, I think the, the digital gold metaphor is one of the simplest for people to understand um, because it encapsulates a number of aspects of the system, mainly that, you know, it's really, it's more like a natural phenomenon than it is a system that is run by any specific entity. A lot of the properties of the system, while theoretically they could be changed, the, you know, the game theory, the dynamics of the system make them basically inviolable. So, you know, the idea that we're essentially creating an alternative financial system that uh, it, it, it has no knowledge of the existing financial system and you can use it without having to ask anyone for permission. All you have to do is you follow the rules of the system. The system will allow you to manipulate it. Um, uh, beyond that, of course, the you know, exact mechanics of, of this basically magical uh, system uh, can get really tricky to understand. You know, it, it is, um, I think it's pretty fascinating that, that the whole thing worked. And if you look at the people early on who were trying to understand it, probably like 98% of even the early cypherpunks scoffed and said, no, this will never work because of X, Y, or Z. But just so happens that Satoshi managed to figure out the game theory and it's you know, been working for uh, 14 years now. Yeah, that's great. I want to ask about this. One thing I've always thought about is that, you know, with Ethereum, they have those stable coins, right? USDC, USDT. There's a lot of debate on how those are good or not, or if they're backed by real money or how, how it goes. Are we? Do we think we might ever see a, a Bitcoin stable coin? Because it's weird, right? Because Bitcoin's always pegged to the US dollar. The US dollar is 
could potentially be doing some weird stuff here as we reach the end of life cycle for the old financial system, right? And and it's like one of those things, it's like, okay, we know crypto is going to go up, crypto is going to go down. Sometimes it's good if you're a trader, you want to get out and maybe put it in a stable coin because you know the volatility of it. But there's not a Bitcoin stable coin yet. Is that something that we could foresee in the future? Um, well, you know, there is something called stable sats, uh, which is uh, a way of representing dollars over lightning networks. Um, and I, I think that it's basically like a type of derivative. Really? Uh, so, you know, depending on how you classify it, that might count as a, a Bitcoin stable coin. I can, I'm sure that over the next year or two, we are going to see some of the existing stable coins you know, start to issue their tokens on Lightning Network, you know, as Taproot Assets becomes a thing and works its way into production. Um, I think RGB is another project uh, that can also let you do, you know, similar tokenization. And you know, kind of going back to some, some of your early questions about ordinals and stuff, you know, I'm not bullish. While I'm interested in seeing people do the permissionless innovation. I'm not particularly bullish about any of it that is working on the main chain, especially if you're using a lot of data in block space, right, because we right. already know that's just, that's not going to scale long-term. Yeah, so even if nice. those, if those on chain or, you know, on the base chain products and, and pieces of functionality do become, uh, you know, a sort of long-term use thing. I think they're going to be very niche markets simply because it's going to, it's going to crowd out anything except the, the very highest value use cases. Hmm. So when do you think that we make that move on the technology adoption curve from early adopter to the beginning of mainstream adoption? Is it these ETFs for BlackRock and Vanguard and whoever else, or is, does that not even put us there yet? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're already somewhat there. Um, I believe Coinbase has said that there's something like 20 or 30 million uh, crypto owners in America. I'm assuming that's based off their own mm -hmm. internal metrics. Yeah, they, so, put you know, on, they put that on that can that they distributed recently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not nothing. Um, that is right. definitely like very solidly in the early adoption. 10, 15 percent. Yeah, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe um, we are. It it is it is fascinating watching this stuff go, and you know, and and you know. In this in this new life cycle, it looks like you know. Wow, you know, as as the having happens again, and what it's going to go down to what three point one two five or something much smaller, and then so each subsequent havings are going to seem to have less of an impact on the overall volume because you know really ninety plus percent of Bitcoin's been mined almost right. So it's like most of it's already out there. A lot of people are holding it. They're not selling it. They're they're keeping it in their they're keeping it in their own place. So I think this is maybe kind of a, a, a dual question. Do you think we'll get to a time where Bitcoin no longer has eight decimal points, but maybe they say, hey, there's only there's only 21 million of them, so let's move this to 10 decimal points or 12 decimal points. That way that Satoshi can get broke down into smaller amounts. Because it seems like if there's only a finite amount, then the only way to go is to divide that way. That's super yeah. deflationary potentially. Yeah. Um well, so 
I don't think that'll happen anytime soon at the base layer. And that's primarily uh, a function of the way that the fees work. Like the, I think we would need like much larger block sizes and lower fees in order to justify further subdivision because, you know, the fees you're, I think in best case scenario, you're paying at least a few hundred Satoshis for an on-chain transaction fee at the very lowest fee rate that is currently allowed and relayed. Um, however, it is already possible to send uh, milli Satoshi increments on Lightning Network. Okay. Uh, this gets into some interesting philosophical quandaries because technically if you send less than one satoshi on the lightning network you're not necessarily guaranteed that you would be able to close that out on the main chain uh once again because of the the fee right. situation but i think it is interesting um you know that facilitates things like machine payments uh you know really paying for resources on demand you can start to to have these meaningful economic interactions that are simply not possible at any scale with the traditional financial system because you know they have so much more overhead. Mm. Now maybe if Bitcoin gets up to a million dollars, then Satoshi's worth like a penny or something, mm -hmm. right? And then then it's like, okay, maybe we need to do it. But man, for Bitcoin to get up to a million dollars, we got a way, we got a ways to go. What do you think, Joel? What do you think? Let's ask Jameson. What do you think about this next cycle? Not being a financial advisor, being just guessing do we hit 250,000 this cycle or 150,000 what do you think any ballpark any guess and you don't have to eat your dick if you if you don't get it right <laughs> uh, yeah you know another reason why i think that price predictions aren't necessarily interesting is because it's actually a two variable equation Bitcoin going to $250,000 doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to buy a house with one Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. It could be that you know, fiat has collapsed so much exactly. that it goes to $250,000. That's why I've always thought when Bitcoin hits a million, it's because the dollar has tanked, right? Mm -hmm. So something crazy has happened. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm a Bitcoin millionaire, but it doesn't matter because it costs me half a million for a roll of toilet paper. So, well, let's uh, let's let's close out with this then. You know, hindsight is uh, is the best vision of all. And if you're going to look back, let's say to when you first discovered Bitcoin, what does Jameson today want? You know, younger Jameson who just discovered Bitcoin to know. Hmm. Uh, mainly that I should care about privacy more. Uh, unfortunately, I had to learn my privacy lesson the hard way of you know, getting swatted and, mm -hmm. and then having to spend a lot of time and money uh, basically burning down my old life and starting over again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those are really the, the two things, especially in this space, but really in general, you know, working in cybersecurity is, um, you know, this is why I'm somewhat bearish on uh, humanity in terms of privacy and security, because uh, humans are so, you could say lazy, uh, but you know, the that's human, a nice, that's a nice way of putting it. The human condition is to take the path of least resistance to achieve whatever you think your goal is. And that combined with the fact that, uh, we have now you know, thousands and thousands of years of human civilization where we have created um, more economically productive and viable systems by seeding 
our power and our our skills to other people to basically be specialists in one or two things um it's this really weird trade-off where now it is it's considered normal to have other you know trusted third parties facilitate things that literally keep you alive i mean most of us would die within a few weeks if like the supply chains broke down, you know, if, if critical parts of our civilization infrastructure stopped working and the, the kind of the scary thing is how fragile a lot of these systems are, but on the flip side, they're also anti-fragile because we have all of these people around the world who are constantly fixing various aspects of, of civilization. So, um, you know, in general, I would, I would want to be more privacy and security conscious up front, because if you don't do that, you know, you might be able to go your whole life without a problem happening, but there's always the possibility. And if you have a major security or, or privacy event, it can be catastrophic if you're not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, suffice to say, uh, I'm a fan of prepping uh prepping in every possible way you know uh, we talk a lot about financial sovereignty you know being a sort of sovereign individual at least in the context of bitcoin but i think that people should take that uh perspective and try to apply it to as many different aspects of their lives as possible Mm. i would tell my younger joel buy you know mine a thousand bitcoin or so and sock it away and don't touch it then Mine was a lot simpler than yours. <laughs> anyway, Jameson. I love that. Bearish on humanity. Which is yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, man. The uh, website for all things Jameson, lop.net, L-O-P-P.net. And uh, as Travis mentioned, the resources that he has here, this is definitely worthy of a bookmark. So much content right here on Bitcoin resources, everything that you could ever want. This might be the most definitive resource site that I have uh seen yet so jameson thanks again dude for coming on i guess we'll see you in five and a half years hopefully less than that (laughs) okay see how we just we got right into that interview trav we're just like boom you just got to hear what jameson's got to say hope you guys uh check out the show notes with the links to all his resources at badco.in forward slash six nine nine and get secure with your bitcoins that's right in the casa so yeah not not a sponsored um you know podcast at all but just wanted to chat with him because he's been a true thought leader man he got in, he got a bitcoin at the same time as me but he looked at it in a little different way like i was like damn it ruined my computer he's like oh my god this is the best thing i was like screw you bitcoin you piece of shit scam he's like oh damn this is gonna be great you know it's i look at that and i go I always laugh because I don't laugh. I, I silently cry. But I, I look at it, I go, man, I was buying so much gold and silver in 2011. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and then my gold and silver now is worth about half of what I paid for it. If I had only taken a quarter of that and put it in Bitcoin, I would be somewhere in the most ridiculous house you've ever seen and uh, live in large. But it's like, I didn't do that. I, and it's like, wow, man. It's like, Seeing gold and silver, what it was doing then, it was almost like the 1980s whenever the Hunt brothers were manipulating the silver markets mm-hmm. and hit up to 50 bucks because like silver hit almost hit 45 or something then, I remember. But I do have some cool, amazing, epic coins still, Joel. So I got that going for me. So there's something. It's not a complete wash. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you guys are going to want to tune into our next episode because it's number 700, 700. And we're going to be talking a lot about our thoughts of what's happened so far, the story so far, uh, especially thoughts from being in the midst of this bear market and perhaps getting ready to come out the other side. Mm-hmm. Like the, the bear market birth canal, if you will. Is that a is that a really yeah? Bad... Well, that's what it is. Is like during the bear market, everybody gets nice and fat, and then during the bear market, we're all in the bull market. Everybody's getting nice and fat. In the bear market, we're all getting skinny because we're burning that fat, and we're like, "Come on, bull market, let's go again. We're ready to go." I'm and about we- uh, twenty pounds lighter. Speaking of burning, right now, nice. I, I've been burning. Well, that's all calories that you gained when you went on that cruise. Yeah, it's, it's you. You're not too far <laughs> from the truth, dude. You're like, back to normal now. It's like, because you're telling me, I'm just here on this cruise eating every buffet possible. And yeah. when I come back, I'm going to lose some weight. So basically, yeah. you lost some weight, but it was all the weight you gained on the cruise. So. Shut up. Shut up. Why you got to be mean to me? I'm not going to want to do episode 700 if you mean to me. Okay, screw you guys. Let's just stay at 699. That's a good number. Nicola <laughs> just, Tesla would approve of this number. 69.9. No, the six, three, six, and nine were, you know, Nikola Tesla's uh, energy frequency vibrations of the universe. It's all tied together. And so he loved them. Every time he would stay in a hotel, it always had to add up to the number three in some way. He was very, very focused around the numbers three, six, and nine. So this is episode six, nine, nine. So this is one of the most powerful episodes in all of Bad Crypto oh so far. Oh my gosh, you guys Except need maybe to Maybe number sure. 693 or number 369. One of those Guys, make sure you're subscribed. Tell a friend. We'll see you on episode number 700. Until then, please, of bad staying shall you be. If I'm going to do that, I should feel like Yoda. Bad you must stay. <laughs> that sounded more like Fozzie Bear. <laughs> Fozzie Bear needs to go pop now. <laughs> Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.